turn over to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter two. Uh, you know, we're this is our Sunday before uh, Christmas, and uh, it would be befitting that we do a Christmas message. Uh, of course, we uh, don't have to do that, right? All of God's word is able to lead us into works of righteousness and discipleship, but uh, this being Christmas, um, that's enough, right? It's Christmas. And if you haven't been told Merry Christmas this morning, well, then Merry Christmas to you. In case we missed it. Thank you. Uh, it is wonderful as believers to, to come to this moment in Christmas time and, and know what it's truly about. Right, uh, we, we understand that if Christ doesn't come, he doesn't tell us to, to remember this, right? And nowhere does he say, hey, I was born this way, you better write that down, right? But we know the gospel writers under the power of the Holy Spirit uh, has, has demonstrated and written for us, right, the importance of how Christ came. Uh, if Christ is not God, if he's not born sinless, then there cannot be redemption, right? And so we, we see in the gospel accounts the different ways in which the writers approached it. Luke writes a little bit more about it. Um, but the passage we're going to look at this morning is just, it's going to be in Luke chapter 2 and uh, verses 8 through 12, 20, I believe, Lord willing, right? Um, we'll look at this passage. And, and for us as followers of Jesus Christ, we you know, I, I, I trust and I assume that we know what this is about, but we also realize being humans and living uh, in this time and age in America um, and, and the seasons and the past Christmases that we've made it through, that there's always a tendency uh, to kind of miss sight, right, of, of the simplicity of this message, right? So I, I, hoping that you, you come back to the simple message, I, I titled my sermon, The Simple Christmas Message. Um, because with all the pomp and circumstance and, and, and all the things that go with, with Christmas time and parties and, and gifts, I thought someone surely would say amen there, but, uh, <laughs> but gifts and right, uh, um, we can miss sight of the greatest gift right given to us. Uh, it reminds me of a story of a little boy who is, you know, struggling, right? He wanted to write a letter to God and to just express uh, to God that his, he's been good, right? And he wants to get good toys. And he wants to write this letter to God. And so he sits down at his desk and he gets a piece of paper out and he, and he begins with these words, right? Dear God, I have been good for six months. And just as he finished months writing that word out, he pauses and he sits back in his chair and he's thinking, it's not entirely true. So he scratches out six months. Dear God, I've been good for three months. To which he pauses yet again. And he's thinking, do I really want to ask gifts of God who knows everything and begin this way, right? Contemplates this and he's like, well, let's just... Let's start again. So he says, dear God, I've been good for two weeks. And yet again, as he's pondering more and thinking about this, his life in the past few weeks, he's filled with conviction. And he comes to the conclusion that this is not going to work. God knows me. He knows where I've been. He knows what I've done. So he sits at his desk and you know, beating his pencil on his cheek, he comes to a different resolve and a different angle. He simply gets up, he goes over to the nativity scene that his parents had, he, he 
He looks upon all the figures and he grabs Mary and he treats her with care and he wraps her up and he goes back to his desk and he, he sets Mary inside the drawer. And with a different confidence this time and resolve, he begins to write, Dear God, if you ever want to see Mary again. <laughs> now regardless of how you think about Christmas, nativity figuring, napping isn't going to get you a whole lot of gifts. It may leverage you, maybe your parents, where's Mary, maybe, so I don't know, but... We, we have a heart, right? We have a desire for the Christmas message. We want to understand this, but sometimes we just get confused with all the things going on. And yet in this passage, I love these verses. Jesus has been born, we'll see in verse 7, yet we'll read here 8 through 20. But it's how the pronouncement of Jesus and the simple message of what has taken place, who God comes to, who he, he you know, shares this, who the angels go to rather, and tell about this event. And sometimes with, with all the things going on, we miss it. But this is what Luke tells us about the way in which Jesus was pronounced. And it's this wonderful, simple message. In the beginning in verse 8, he says this. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is called Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, right, I had to say that suddenly, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Let me offer a brief prayer. Lord, thank you so much again for the opportunity to come together to celebrate Christmas, to worship you. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to open your word, to read it. And I ask now that your Holy Spirit would teach us, give us instruction to understand Lord, to comprehend this simple message, and yet the, the depth of it is profound. And Lord, as always, as we look to you, I ask that every soul would, in fact, look to you and that you would get me out of the way. Father, that we would receive what you have for us today. And I pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. 
So we come to this passage, and as I mentioned earlier, Jesus has just been born, right? Luke tells us that, and uh, if you're familiar with the story, we have Joseph and Mary, and they're uh, trying to figure out where to have this child at, and because of the taxation and all the, the registry and these things happening, they're going to Bethlehem. And so you have this moment, and, and it's almost as if Luke kind of rolls right through it, right? But you have this really simple moment in verse 7 where Jesus is, in fact, born. It's a quite a contrast, as, as we would imagine, right? Those in, in the world of this stature. I mean, here you have the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is coming to earth, you have, uh, right, the covenant fulfiller in Christ's coming. And there has been 400 years of silence from the Old Testament to this defining moment, right? We would think there would be a little bit more to it. There's this, this you know, it comes plainly at midnight, right? And, and without any of the worldly ceremonies that you might think would be attached to this. You know, it's very, if you would say the word, very ordinary, Right? It's just another day. And yet, in this, this day, right, uh, God has sent His Son who's going to change everything. I mean, this moment has changed your life. If you're here this morning and you're professing Christ, this is a, a, a moment, right, out of our history, you could say, that is life changing in the direction of who we are. We see in this simple contrast, I mean, what is God communicating to us? I mean, the, He's created the earth, He's He's placed everything in its place, right? He was the sun before he got around to creating the sun. I mean, this is God. And yet the second person of the Trinity coming, right, as the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor, he's coming and he comes to Bethlehem in a small little town at midnight. And there you go. You know, it's amazing because we look at this and we love, I mean, I, I assume you love this too, the, the picture of the nativity. If you have a nativity scene, that's great. If you see it on Christmas cards, right, little baby Jesus, we did the movie nativity. We love, I mean, we love kids, right? We love little children. We love all these things. And yet, uh, you know, we look at it, all, all of that is looking at it from our side of it. I think it's important for us to understand, at least theologically, what, is, what Christ is doing for us. I mean, here is when Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that he came in a different form. And part of this, coming and being born into a poor family, being born let alone a poor family, right, he is really, it's part of Christ's humiliation. You think on that for a moment. I like using uh, catechisms, the Westminster Catechism and uh, the London Baptist Catechism, the Shorter Catechisms, to do Bible study with my boys. When our family time of worship, we go through the question, question and answer. And question 30 of the Baptist Catechism says, you know, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Right? Where does this humiliation, because there's a humiliation, there's also an exaltation, there's a moment, right, where Christ always has been. He's all in glory, yet he sets that aside. And, and part of this answer, well, this answer, I'll just read you the answer to, you know, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consists in his being born. And that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, the curse of death on the cross, being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. That's all part of Christ's humiliation. 
So as we look at this story, it's easy for us to get caught up in gifts and Christmas time, but pause for a moment, look at it through the eyes of Christ. He's leaving his glory behind, at least for a time, isn't he? And he's going to be born, fully God, fully human, in a very ordinary way. Right? It's just another day. I love this quote from Michael Horton. He wrote a book, Ordinary. I'd recommend it to you. But he says this. He says, of course, the eternal son's incarnation, right, his birth, was extraordinary. He says, like let there be light, it was a direct miracle. So, too, were his signs and wonders culminating in his own resurrection. Nevertheless, his gestation right, and birth were a normal nine-month process as he assumed our humanity. It's a profound miracle. The second person of the Trinity is coming, and yet God does it through nine months, right? It's a normal pregnancy, and he's born. And part of this is his humiliation, and this is part of this message for us. Because see, God so loves the world, right? He loves you and I. I love, you know, the, the three sixteens of John. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Right, John 3.16, John, you know, 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life. Right, this is how God is loving us. He sends his son. We love it on nativity scenes, right? We love it in, in uh, Christmas cards, but we listen to what is actually happening, what God is doing for us. And it starts to, to make reason why the angels are singing, why they're praising is something miraculous, right? Extraordinary is happening. And it's a simple message of Christmas. So what do we learn from this? Well, verses 8 through 12, I'd like to, and this is in your notes. I think I've already given you the fill-ins. The Christmas message is for simple people. Right out of the gates, right? I love this, how, how God communicates this. Look at these verses. It says, now there were in the same country shepherds, right? Living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. This kind of... Kind of shoots down the whole idea of, of, of uh, Jesus being born in the wintertime, right? Just so you know, we like it's December, but, right, shepherds wouldn't be out in the field. So just not to wreck all your songs and Christmas there, but uh, uh, just note that, right? And it says, verse 9, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they, excuse me, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Right? This message is for simple people. Now, I don't mean to be... Um, insulting here and saying, guess what? You guys are a bunch of simpletons. I'm not saying that, right? But we do realize you don't have to be a PhD and have rock and science to understand what is happening, right? There is depths to the gospel which are, that will never finish mining out. And yet the simplicity of this message can transform and change lives. That's the reality of it. So here we see, right, in a simple way for us, God's desire is not to say, hey, I'm going to send my, my son into the world and make it difficult for you. What does he do, right? He puts the cookies, if you will, on the bottom shelf, right? I don't know how, if you grew up, I grew up with parents who put the cookies on the top shelf, right? And you had to climb through the cupboards. Anyone else with me? Okay. 
See, God isn't doing that here with the gospel, is he? It's for all people. He's putting the good things accessible to everyone. So he comes, and this is, you said, an angel, right? Angels are messengers. They, are, they do exactly what God tells them to do. And must, right, we can, we can think here that God has told them, go to the shepherds and tell them. Think about shepherds for a moment here, right? That Christ is born, uh, the Savior has come, and go tell shepherds. Right? Not the priests and the rulers. Go tell the shepherds, not the scribes, the Pharisees, right? Go tell shepherds who probably couldn't read or write. They're not uh, leadership material, you may think, right? But go tell them. And we, right out of the gates here, do you see the purpose? You see the heartbeat of who God is. And he's not going to go to the, to the most sophisticated people. No, go to the ones who need salvation. You and I. Go to the simple people, right? Go to these, these shepherds right away. Don't keep it from them. Here is Christ. He extends the love of Christ to everyone. It tells us right there there's no one out of reach of God, right? We know that. But here, even at the birth of Christ, we see that Christ is for all. Do you have someone who doesn't know the Lord? Do you know someone, a family member, someone that they're not outside of God's reach? Of course not. Even in the announcement of Christ, God sets that tone. Go find those who, who are looked down upon from society. Shepherds most likely didn't make it to, to uh, uh, the Sabbath day on Saturday. They were out working. They were, looked, they were looked down upon from the religious leaders. Go find those who are rejected and dejected. Find those who probably don't look right like, like they've got it all together. Go find those who are just displaced people. Man, they're barely holding on. Go find those who are just, they've got one job and they don't even have time to do it that well. Right? Go find those kind of people. Right at the very announcement, we see this, this simple message. Harry Ironside shares this story when he was a kid and he, there was a missionary from Africa who came and he asked, he was a little boy, he asked all the boys, and, and the, the, the missionary asked the boys, is there any of you boys who are good? And Harry thought to himself, he really wanted to raise his hand, but his mom was there. And so he was like, I'm not going to raise my hand, and my mom knows better. And so the missionary paused and he says, oh, I'd like to share with you what we, what we teach, the gospel we teach in Africa, but now I'm going to, because there's no, one, there's no one good, I'm going to share you with you what I share those who are heathen in Africa. And he begins to go into the gospel and he says, God loves naughty boys. And Harry reflects on this moment and he's thinking, at the time, this guy's crazy, right? I'm a good kid. God loves good little boys. Up until that point, that's what he thought. And it's not until as the missionary goes on and explains the gospel and he's hearing this that he dawns on him. God didn't come because we're good. God doesn't love us because you're good. He's provided a savior. Right? God loves sinners. And right here at the very announcement of Christ, are we not seeing a picture of why he has come? It's been told to us in the Old Testament. It's been announced. We're reading it. We know it. But even the way in which it is unfolding, Christ has come for the simple people. It's a message to all people, the angel says. 
See, no one is outside of God's grace. No one's outside of that. There's no heart that cannot be transplanted, right? A stone, a heart of stone that can't be transplanted, a heart of flesh. And this is communicated to us, right? The world will write this off. The world will come to you and say this, this whole Christmas message, you know, don't put Merry Christmas on my card, put Happy Holidays, right? Even if they go that far. They'll say, look at this and go, they're shepherds, that's ridiculous. This is, if he really is a king, why would, why would God send an angel to shepherds? That's always the world's response, right? Because they're better. We're, we're, you know, I don't need a savior. And yet we see how God is even from the very beginning. And this is always the plan, wasn't it? So when we say the book is a book of redemption, the Bible, right? We see it. Sin entered the world in early chapters of Genesis. Christ has come. The gospels tell us about him. The epistles tell us how to follow him. Revelation tells us how this whole thing is going to wrap up. It's about one person. It's about this simple message. And we realize that if he doesn't come in this way, there's no salvation. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that Christ has come and he included me as a part of that simple group. Jesus tells us this in Luke 5, 31 through 32. Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, the point of all this that we see in the very beginning, right? We see that there are sinners, and Christ has come to call sinners. And the very beginning of his birth, we see angels doing that work already. They're already going out and calling sinners and saying, come, come see the Savior who has right, been born Come and look upon him, right? There's going to be reconciliation. There finally is hope for you. You've been 400 years of silence. God is moving on the earth. Come. I think that's, just, that's encouraging. To you this morning, if you're on the outside of that truth, I say today, today you must come. Believe on Christ. Hear the message of Christmas. Don't think it. Don't overthink it, Right? Think it through, rethink it, think it again. I don't know how it can be. It's a simple message. Come to Christ. And now as we unfold this, we see this, right? It's a, a simple, first simple people. As it goes on in verses 13 through 14, we see the Christmas message has simple content, right? We have one angel telling them up to this point, right? The glory of God, of the Lord shone around them. They were greatly afraid. It says, peace, hey, don't be afraid. Let me tell you what's going on. And just as he concludes that, right, we see now in, in verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You can imagine this moment, right? You're hanging out in the field. You got, you know, the sheep. You got a few of them named and you get them confused occasionally. That's kind of how I would probably do it, right? And, and then all of a sudden an angel shows up and you're quaking in your flip-flops, right? And, and you're thinking, what is going on? And then now there's a heavenly host. It's as if the heavens opened. And can you imagine here when, when you, you think of one angel singing, right? I, I would imagine that would sound really good. Can you imagine a host of angels praising God? Can you imagine the harmonies, Right? Oh, yeah, they're all, that's just, imagine just one chord. Imagine that music, right? Okay, I would be awestruck. I would think, that's, that's just me, but this is what the Lord does, right? In case the one angel wasn't enough, right? In case these shepherds weren't quite getting it, maybe. Boom, here's a heavenly host. 
and they're worshiping God, right? And they're, they're, there's this understanding the angels have here, I think. There's something they know about what is taking place, clearly, right? There is a Savior who has come. I also think the angels know something about our plight, right? They, they understand something about the misery of our sin. They have a knowledge that there is actually no hope for any of these people. None. Right? We love John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? But as you go on to verse 18 and 19, it says, you know, you're born condemned. He who doesn't believe is condemned. We're not born believing, right? We're born condemned. And if Christ doesn't come, there actually is no hope. And it seems that the angels understand this at a level that you and I struggle. Maybe sin mars our mind. We don't think right. But they are, they, it doesn't benefit them other than the sense that they get to witness it. They get to worship God through it. The angels aren't going to be silent here, right? Imagine it's harmonies, right? Imagine they're singing. What are they singing? Praise God. Glory to God, right? Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. This is their, this is their, their chorus. They're singing it out. I think they know something about our plight. I think you and I would benefit if we actually took to heart what they're doing. See, we, we don't fully understand. I, I, I'm convinced just how holy God is right? and how ugly our sin really is. We think we're pretty good. Some of you probably are going, simple people, he's, oh, it's not me. He can put the cookies a few shelves up. I'll be all right with that, right? So we don't realize just how wicked we were. Compare us to Hitler, we're marginally better, right? But God is still a, a chasm away. And yet for us to, to, to get across that chasm, Emmanuel has to come. And it seems that the angels understand this. Right? There, there, should, there should be a desire on us every Lord's Day to come and say, you know what, I'm going to join in the heavenly chorus. I'm going to worship because guess what? I was one of those simpletons. I was one of those running to hell until he delivered me. That who's who I was, lost on my sin without hope. I don't know about you, but if you're a believer, I'd imagine that's your story too. And yet we should come on a Sunday and expecting and saying, look what he's done for us in Christ. And yet today I don't think that's the fervency and the passion that we have, is it? I know life happens, we go through difficult things, but there is something here that we should grab hold of. God has made peace with us. Listen to what, the, the, what they're singing about, right? They say, glory to God in the highest. That's the beginning of their chorus. Glory to God in the highest. He is going to deal justly with our sin problem. He's not overlooking it. He's going to deal with it, right? He's going to bring his holiness and his mercy and his wisdom. He's going to bring all of this. He's going to cleanse us, not in part, but in whole. He's going to do it through his son. Glory to God, right? Glory to God. And they go on and they say, peace. There's actually now the real tangible reconciliation that can happen. I don't know about you, but that's pretty good news, right? We love that peace, peace that transcends our understanding. The very peace that Jesus gives to his disciples, not as the world gives, I give you peace. He is, as Isaiah says, the prince of peace, um, this is a rhetorical question, but if I was to ask you, would you like that peace in the world in which we live today? Yes, right? Of course. 
And this is what they're seeing about. There actually can be reconciliation between sinful man and holy God. And he says, goodwill, goodwill towards men. Love what Paul says in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, speaking of Christ, for it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. That's what Isaiah has been saying. It's what Matthew's been saying. Luke is saying it. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of, of his cross. See, we don't get to Calvary if we don't have a Bethlehem moment, right? We don't get there from, from there unless this happens. And we don't, and this simple message, this simple content has profound depth. Do you realize what is happening here, what Christ is opening up for us? I love this quote. This is from Calvin in his Institutes. But he says, when talking about the, the Son of God coming, he says, by coming, the Son of Man with us has made, uh, has made us sons of God with him. By his descent to earth, he has prepared an ascent to heaven for us. By taking on our mortality, he has conferred his immortality upon us. By accepting our weakness, he has strengthened us by his power. By receiving our poverty unto himself, he has transferred his wealth to us by taking the weight of our iniquity upon himself, which oppresses us. He has clothed us with righteousness. It's a simple message and yet profound implications of what is happening. Does that not change the tone and the reason of why these angels are singing in profound harmony? Right? Heavenly host. Not one is, is saying, I don't, want, I don't feel like singing today. No, they're all singing. Why? Because something magnificent is happening. And at this moment, you realize, sovereignly speaking, that you are on his mind. He has thoughts of you here. That's pretty profound. There should be reason. Hopefully there's, there's reasons developing in you. I wish you'd come and worship this mighty king. This is what he's done. It's a simple uh, content, right, for simple people. The, the, the passage goes on, and Luke tells us in 15 and 16 is what I'm calling the Christian, or the Christmas message has a simple response, right? What do, these, what do these shepherds do with all this? It says, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, right, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. So there's a moment, right, if this ever happens to you, uh, and the angels, a heavenly host of angels start singing, realize it doesn't last forever, right, because they're gone. Now they're standing out there in the fields, and they're looking upon themselves and saying, what should we do upon this? Uh, they quickly confer together that we should go. There's no quibbling or uh, you know, ranking of order or let's set up a committee here and figure out what to do about this, right? They come to a decisive decision. Hey, let's go and look at this thing. Let's go be a part of what is unfolding in front of us. Let's go see, right, the very face of God in this babe. So they discuss, they execute their plan, right? I think that kind of thinking and action would, would there's something there for us as a church, right? Let's figure out what we're going to do and let's execute our plan. Let's go do this, right? Let's go uh, proclaim and go see and be a part of what the Lord is doing. 
So they have excitement. They say, let us go, right? Let's go check this out. They go with haste. Now I can imagine that something like this unfolded and an angel once showed up and then hosts of angels started singing. It would move you to haste as well, right? Maybe a little bit quicker than haste. I don't know if there's a better word for faster haste, but I would imagine you would be like, let's go see this. God has done See, I think there, there's an urgency here, right, that the, the shepherds have. Clearly they would have it. You and I would have it. But there's something that happens in the church today in America when things aren't happening as fast as, as we think they should. Right? There's a response here to this, right? The shepherds are responding to this, this moment. They're responding to, to God revealing to them what is happening and what is, what is going on in Bethlehem. And yet today there's this, this apathy, right, in the church that says, you know, I, I have tomorrow or I have next Sunday. I think that's a real tactic of the evil one, right? I don't think, I think if you're here on a Sunday and you're a believer of Christ, I don't think he's going to try to convince you that Christ isn't real. I don't think he's going to try to say, you know what, his, the word isn't real. How many may try to do that? He tried to do that with Jesus, right? Twist scripture. But I think ultimately he has this, this way of, of, and of course our flesh plays probably a bigger role in this, but to procrastinate. When it comes to salvation and making sure you're, you're, you're secure in your salvation, we may conclude that there is, I have next Sunday or I have tomorrow. I'm reminded often, I think of this and Maybe it's because of the times we live in where Jesus shares the parable of the rich man. He has all the grain. He's, he's building up two more silos, and he's thinking to himself, I'm going to retire rich. I'm going to have nothing to do. And Jesus' response to him is simply, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. Well, who's going to get all your stuff, right? And I think that needs to, to lay upon us. What if our soul was required of us? Are we ready? There's a response here. Right? The angels are singing because God has done something miraculous, and somehow we've kind of deluded it to think, ah, it's just the gospel. I think that should stir us, right? We should go see what is the Lord doing? What is this truth? If our soul was required of us, this night, would we, do we have confidence? Do you have confidence that you awake in the presence of the Lord? Be sure of that. It's a simple message. It's a simple belief. It's trusting in Christ, confessing our sins, making him Lord of our lives. So we see the, the shepherds respond, right? They respond to this truth. And as it goes on, the passage continue, Luke continued to unfold this for us in 17 and 18. I just said there's a simple communication. Look what they, they begin to do, right? Now when they had seen this, they go to Mary, they see the baby, they realize, yeah, the angel, we weren't seeing things. This is all legit, right? For if they were doubting it, they're not now. And they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. It's almost as if you see here the precursor, right? You see the model of, of the Great Commission, right? God does something, he saves us, and we go tell someone else about it, 
right? Isn't that the Great Commission? Go to all the, the world and make disciples, teaching them everything that I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Go. And it's almost as if we see, right, Christ being proclaimed, the invitation, come see him. Now they go and tell someone else without all the communication of the gospel yet, right? They're going and telling and saying, we've had 400 years of silence, right? Come, look at this. The Jesus has been born. The Savior has come. They go and tell everyone. But I think the response is kind of like what we get today, isn't it? There's some people who will marvel at it, but, but it's not recorded that any of these people went to go actually validate it. Right? It's, oh, it's a good, good for you. But they don't go and they don't go see this. They don't go see what God has done. But yet the, the shepherds are communicating this truth. I think that's kind of the response we see, right? Often our world is, those people in our world are going around in darkness desiring to find meaning and value in all those things and, and yet continually going around in darkness and you show up and say, look, here's the light. Here's the light. And they say, ah, you know, I'll keep the darkness. So that's exactly what John tells us. The light has come, but they have chosen. They desire darkness. And for those, and hopefully you this morning, you've had this moment where light has come and you begin to see the world differently, spiritually. It reminds me of the story of a family going into taverns, into these caves, and they got to this point where it was so dark that the little sister grabbed her brother's hand and was getting scared. And to calm her, all she could hear was the voice of her brother saying, don't worry, someone knows where the light switch is at. Don't worry, someone knows where the light's at. I think for us, we need to be people who don't just hear the message, communicate the message. I think there are some who need to know there's light, there's actual light, but, but it's not up to you to save them, is it? Here we see the, the, the I was going to say disciples, the shepherds going, right, and communicating this truth. We've had silence. The Savior's come, do you understand? These angels, there was one, there was a bunch of them. They were singing in harmony. It was incredible. We should have saw this. We went there and exactly everything they said, this is what it is. It's true. And today we have it in written form. You and I have it this way. And we can read it and we can say, hey, come look at this. If you don't have Jesus, right? The Bible says if you're lost in sin, the wages of sin is death. That's what you're guaranteed if your soul's required of you. That's what's, that's what's guaranteed. That's what's ahead of you. That's not just a physical death. That's an eternal death. But if you know Christ, there's a way that you can have eternal life. And this is how it is. This is how he came. This is what he's done. This is how he did it. It's complete. It needs to be communicated. And as we go along, as John unfolds this, we come to the simple adoration. You and I will fit here well, right? 19 and 20. The Christmas message leads us to just adoration. It leads us to praise. Of course we join with the angels. But listen to this. He says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Right? Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, or heard and seen rather, as uh, was told them. So we have this picture of Mary. You can imagine everything that Mary has gone through. Right? Um, it's humble, right? A trusting heart. Uh, loves the Lord, Right? 
Um, she's pregnant. She's unmarried. Had a long trip from Nazareth, most likely on foot. We love that story of small one and the donkey, right? But most likely she walked a lot of that. She's exhausted. She gave birth, right, in a stable. Then all these shepherds show up. I haven't found one woman yet who gave him birth and said, hey, can all these strangers come into your room and check out your baby? <laughs> right? But that's where we're at. That's what's going on. Right? So I don't know who these guys are. But then they begin to tell her, this is what was told us. This is what's happening. Right? And she hears it. And she's pondering in her heart again, man, just like, just like a, a, a new mother pondering these things about this child. She was probably weary, exhausted, Right, but she comes to this attitude of adoration and worship, praise. This is this is the the Savior who has come, and God has chosen me to be a part of it in this way, to serve in the kingdom this way. We see the shepherds, right? Once again, non-religious group, right? Some smelly guys down the field who come. Now they go back. We don't hear of the shepherds ever again, other than what it's recorded, right? They just kind of go off into oblivion. We don't we don't see them a part of the story anymore but they're forever changed. I think there's something here that resonates with each of us in the fact that you know, those who have been forgiven much, right, worship much, we begin to understand the, at what length God has gone to save us. We begin to reflect on our own lives and we think, man, he, he redeemed me. You can imagine the shepherds having that thought, going back to their fields, worshiping God. And praising him, full of adoration. See, I think this, this message, this Christmas message, it needs to be communicated. I know it's Christmas season, and this is the Sunday before Christmas, right? But part of the gospel is this, this moment of the pure, sinless Christ being born. And it's a simple message of come and believe on Christ as Savior, as King, because he bore the wrath on the cross. As a New Testament church, we know that. But even as for us as believers, we need to keep the gospel in front of us because you and I, even though we've walked with the Lord and maybe you've walked with the Lord for many years, you and I can come to a moment in life where we forget. And we struggle and we think this, I don't know, does he love me? Does he even care? Does he even concern himself with me? Sometimes we need to be reminded of the simple truth. What Christ has done in his humiliation, he has come. That you and I would be saved what a great God. I love the story of the hymn, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. I'd like to share it with you, and, and here in a moment we're going we're gonna to sing, sing this hymn, but, or this carol. But it's written by a man named Harry Wadsworth Longfellow. He lived from 1807 to 1882. And he wrote many carols, but one he's most known for is what he called Christmas Bells that he wrote on December 25th, 1864. It was a poem. It had seven stanzas in it. And in 70, 1872, John Culkin took out two stanzas referencing the American Civil War because he was writing during that time. Uh, and, and we have what we know today is I heard the bells on Christmas Day. What makes this hymn, just like this story, when you begin to realize what's happening in the gospel and why the angels are singing, right, the carol comes alive to us and we realize what he was going through and how he was reminded of the simple Christmas message. 
See, Longfellow had crafted this poem some months before Lee's surrender to Grant at Appomattox Courthouse on April 9, 1865. And within the poem, however, he captures the years of despair from the horrors of the American Civil War and beyond that to a future that was filled with hope. The depth and breadth of these words can only, as I'm just going to read this for you, only can be understood within the context of Longfellow's own life. On July 13, 1843, Harry married Francis. They settled down in a historic house overlooking the Charles River in Cambridge, where they soon had five children. And 1861 was the year of personal and national tragedy for, for Longfellow and his family. On April 12, 1861, the opening shots of the American Civil War were fired. And on July 10th, Fanning Longfellow is, was fatally burned in an accident in their library at their house. After trimming some of her seven-year-old's Edith's curls, Fanny decided to preserve the clippings in sealing wax. Melting a bar of sealing wax with a candle, a few drops fell unnoticed upon her dress. But when a gust of wind came through an open window, the hot wax ignited and lighted material in her dress. Completely wrapping her in the flames to protect the children, she ran into Harry's our Henry's study, and together they tried to frantically put out the flames. Henry severely burned his face and arms and hands, and the next morning Fanny died. Too ill from the burns and grief, Henry did not attend her funeral. Later he grew his trademark full beard because of his inability to shave after the tragedy. The first Christmas after, after Fanny's death, Longfellow wrote... How inexpressibly sad are all the holidays. A year after the incident, he wrote, I can make no record of these days. Better leave them wrapped in silence. Perhaps someday God will give me peace. Longfellow's journal entry for December 1862 reads, A Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is not for me. Almost a year later, Longfellow received word that his oldest son, Charles, a lieutenant in the army at the Potomac had been severely wounded, the bullet passing under his shoulder blades and severely injuring his spine. The Christmas of 1863 was silent in his journal. But then on December 25th, 1864, he wrote the words of this poem. He was listening to the bells that were ringing at a nearby church, which renewed his hope and stirred his soul, which brought us these timeless messages. He wrote, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. He continues on, he says, And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But with hope shining through, he wrote, then plead the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. 
So even as followers of Christ, there's moments in life where we come and this simple message is just simply lost. We go through sorrow and suffering and yet something as simple as bells ringing, we come back to the truth of the gospel. There was a moment in history where angels, a host of angels sang, glory to God, peace on earth, goodwill to men. See, in this life, as Paul said, in this life, if all we have is Christ, we're pitiful people. But he goes on and says, but now Christ has risen from the dead. We are victorious because the king rules and he reigns. Be reminded of this simple message, right? It is Christmas, be encouraged. Everything happening in our nation, we have a God who reigns, a savior who reigns. Peace on earth and goodwill to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time once again that we can bow our heads and our hearts before you and call upon your great name. Not just call upon you, but with confidence know that you hear us and receive us. Acknowledging that you are wonderful. You are wonderful. You're the Prince of Peace. You're the everlasting Father, the Almighty God. You are Emmanuel. Lord, thank you for being all this and yet so much more. You're our Redeemer and our Savior. Lord, forgive us for the times that we've looked upon the gospel and not really realized what Christ is going through. We've always seen this moment of the birth as this precious little moment of a child being born, and yet we realize and know that this is part of Jesus setting his glory aside changing his form, coming to earth, being born in a poor family, living and enduring the miseries of life, dealing the brokenness, dealing with all the things of life and coming under the law, fulfilling the law. But for us as a New Testament church, we realize that upon that cross he bore our wrath. That little child in that nativity scene would later bear our wrath. We thank you, God, because in that moment, you have saved us from you, and you have justified the sinners through the perfect righteousness of Christ. And because Christ has come, we have all the hope. Lord, thank you for redemption and salvation. Thank you for the work, your faithfulness to it. And I do pray for us this morning that if there is, Lord, in us a stirring of uncertainty, that we would come to the gospel, that we would come to Christ, that we would call upon his name, repent of our sins, and make him Lord of our lives. If for us this morning, if there's some who are struggling with the season, the season brings up despair and, and brokenness. Lord, may the bells ring. May the simple message of the gospel, of the Christmas message, ring in our hearts. You're not dead. You're with us. You're amongst us. Let us be encouraged and reminded. Let us be strengthened. For you are God. And Lord, let us, each and every one of us, respond with thankfulness and really worship, Lord, to you. For who you are, what you've done, what you're doing, what you're going to do. We love you. And we pray this all in the wonderful, beautiful, saving name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.